Welcome to the RSP Cast. I'm Matt Walden with the Rookie Scouting Portfolio. Lori Fitzpatrick's off this week, so I'm doing a solo cast on the craft of player evaluation. Now, speaking of scouting, the final newsletter for the 2022 RSP, those subscribers will get that final newsletter out sometime later this week or early next week. For those of you subscribed to the 2022 RSP Dynasty Projections and Ranking Service, I'll also have the final projections and rankings update for the 2022 season. That'll be sent out during the first week of January, which I'll provide a first glimpse of the 2023 season prior to free agency in the draft. The final update for those Dynasty and Projections subscribers will come in June. Now, if you weren't aware, the 2023 RSP is now available for pre-order for $21.95 at mountwaldman.com. It's now in its 18th year. This includes a pre-draft analysis available on April 1st. That includes the data and criteria of my scouting process for this class of prospects, analysis of recent draft classes by position, positional rankings, and the most detailed scouting reports on offensive skill position players available to the public. Now, it's not only a great fantasy resource for Dynasty and Redraft formats because it has a shelf life of about three to five years, especially for those of you who are looking at free agents and staying on the waiver wire to check out players or look at the values of potential players who are starting to emerge after their first year and oftentimes are forgotten about by major media. The RSP pre-draft is also one of the two most purchased independent scouting resources for cross-checking purposes among NFL scouts and personnel management. Now, I'm not telling you that because I just think so. I haven't done any special type of survey. I'm telling you this based on what SMU's director of recruiting, Alex Brown, has seen over the years and relayed to me based on his um, work as a recruiting director and recruiting analyst at Houston Rice and now the director at SMU who meets with scouts and personnel people in the league on a weekly basis to talk about prospects. And he gets to see and ask what these guys look at as a cross-checking resource. And the RSP is one of the two most um, purchased ones that he has seen over the past five to seven years. Now, in addition, you get the post-draft update to the RSP when you buy it that has ADP analysis, post-draft fits, depth chart breakdowns, and a cheat sheet with updated rankings after the draft with tiers that help you also get, I also give you a sweet spot recommendation for each player so that you can optimize the potential value of the player in your draft based on my post-draft rankings and the ADP that I'm reporting based on usually between 8 to 12 leagues that have drafted after the NFL draft. Now, you get this pre-draft, post-draft package for $21.95, as well as a monthly newsletter that comes out between June and December. And if you're not aware, the RSP has been donating a portion of its proceeds to Darkness to Light since 2012. During that time, we've given over $55,000 $55, to D to L, to help them provide training to raise awareness about the problem of child sexual abuse, as well as training to prevent the, dy um, the dynamics from occurring, as well as how to handle it when there is an issue reported so that 
the trauma that a child faces isn't compounded um, based on the mishandling of it, which we saw at Penn State. By the way, Penn State has used darkness to light as a resource to provide training to their administration and staff since what happened over a decade ago. Now, you can go to mattwaldman.com to pre-order the RSP. You'll create a login and password, and when the pre-draft is ready, and it's been ready on, on April 1st, every year I've been doing it since 2006, I'll email you, and you can download the bookmark PDF, and you'll be prepared to go deep on analysis that has generated grades higher than the consensus on the likes of Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, Nick Chubb, Isaiah Pacheco, Dalvin Cook, A.J. Brown, Justin Jefferson, Chris Olave, and Cooper Cup, while also showing readers why they may need to proceed with caution about players who may have been rated high, but I'm lower on them in the consensus like Baker Mayfield or Zach Wilson, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire, Drew Locke. Now, let's get started you know, we got past that part of it. I appreciate you listening to it. And if you've been on the fence, truly check it out. It's the best thing that I do by far. And it supports what I do here with these podcasts as well. Um, you keep me in business and I'm very appreciative of that. So let's get started on the craft of player evaluation. You know, you can look around this industry and look around the media for football and draft guides are everywhere in major media. The effort to scout college players is entertaining. I mean, it's a lot of fun. It's potentially lucrative. Um, and it's especially a potential of income for larger sites where they're expected to provide a one-stop shop for football analysis, whether it's a um, sports site, a journalism site that provides entertainment, or whether it's a fantasy football site. But here's the thing. Football analysts or football analysis. Football analysis falls into several disciplines in a similar way that you can go to business school, but it won't necessarily make you um, an accountant, an information systems manager, a finance analyst, an operations specialist, and a real estate and insurance whiz. You generally have to pick one discipline or maybe a couple of disciplines. And, and maybe over the course of time, a successful business person will develop some level of expertise with more than one of these disciplines. But this takes years of accumulating knowledge and practical experience. This is the case with any discipline. Just because, you know, I played the saxophone and I've played some professionally on a, on a low level and I'm learning the electric bass doesn't mean I understand composing and arranging, studio engineering, or have an expertise with orchestral performance. Now, I know many musicians, and you've seen them too, who have developed a wide base of knowledge that crosses over to these disciplines. But a working knowledge of multiple disciplines isn't always the deepest. And this is the same way with football. Our industry has disciplines. They include beat reporting, feature writing. You're talking about the journalism end of it. And trust me, as someone who has been... Um, covered a beat and been a feature writer in a journalism capacity um, in a different industry and has been an editor at a magazine. I was an editor at the University of Georgia's Terry College of Business um, for their magazine. I was the associate editor and the, one of their main features writers. Um, 
and I helped edit Pulitzer Prize nominated writers who were, um, you know, hired to do certain types of articles as well. So I've seen, you know, people who've written and have a variety of skills of writing. And I can tell you that there are people who are excellent at, say, writing press releases or covering the daily news of short stories about a subject. But when asked to do feature writing, they completely freak out. They can't do it and they end up having to abandon the project or just not take it on at all. And they're, it, they're different areas in the same way that analytics is different from X's and O's and the same way that X's and O's is different from scouting or player movement and techniques or injury coverage or fantasy football. So you might look at these disciplines and initially think that scouting is X's and O's, injury coverage, analytics, and player movement and techniques all rolled into one. Now, I will say quality scouting has a baseline understanding of those four things. Then while it's helpful to develop a solid depth of knowledge for these disciplines, it's more essential to actually develop a deep understanding of how to create, sustain, and continuously innovate a methodology for doing the scouting of players. You know, it's one thing to know the difference between, say, a smash concept and a mesh concept, or a cover three and a cover one. This can be helpful and in some cases essential, but understanding how to create a scoring system that gives accurate weight to the importance of how a quarterback executes the root factors common with every passing concept is vital. There's a big difference. You may be able to tell me every route in a smash concept and the suggested progressions for it, but if you're looking across all concepts, are you, are you identifying the factors that help a quarterback really execute all those concepts? Or where certain concepts are very different and require a special set of skills? Are you making the differentiate, are you differentiating those? You know, so it, defining the criteria is very important and identifying it well enough, defining it well enough, excuse me, that it's specific enough to pinpoint singular behaviors so you're not over or undervaluing a player. Grading a quarterback's release is a good example of this. If you just simply grade the release as one defined category, you just say, I'm looking at their release, and there's no sub subcategories or steps to define what, that what makes up a release. Now, you may know them in your head. You may look at it and have seen it thousands of times maybe millions of times, you know, if you've lived as long as I have at this point. But if you're not pinpointing all the things that could be effective or ineffective about the release, then you're going to have a process that creates a lot of variation of answers that you unwittingly can make mistakes that you could have avoided. So for instance, a quarterback might have a quick release with his upper body but his stance is too wide to support a weight transfer in the lower body that generates velocity. He might have a quick release, but his motion may not be compact and it leads to sacks, fumbles, and deflected attempts when he's in a compressed pockets. 
He might be quick and efficient with his upper body, but his lower body is inefficient and doesn't align to the target, and the quarterback is inaccurate and lacking velocity with specific throws. Now, you might see people graph, you know, share some of these things, but not have incorporated a process that, that you know, really details every point so that you're consistently looking for it with every player. You're noting the when or when they don't execute these skills and you have a systematic way of doing it so that there are no gaps in how you're evaluating a player one player to the next and that eliminates a lot of the variation that can happen if you get distracted by you know it's easy to get distracted by a quarterback that has an unbelievably quick release and you just fall in love with that and put way too much weight on the quick release when the lower body's lacking and the accuracy isn't quite there. And if you don't have the, the proper or the best possible way to define and grade the criteria of what a release is in its very specific matter um, methods, then you are at risk of overvaluing things that really shouldn't be overvalued. And now you've given a player a much higher grade then maybe he actually deserves and you're overlooking issues and projecting success based on things that you know you could have seen and identified earlier and said these things are problematic maybe you need to slow down that timeline or assumption of success right away so you know these are just a few examples for releases of what a knowledgeable beat reporter or analytics professional or even an X and O's analyst may see, but not note effectively enough to generate a usable grade that's consistent across each report at the position. It's not because they don't have some of the knowledge. Like I said, some of them have developed it and have become effective scouts, but most who dabble in scouting, it's because it's that time of year. And they're not putting year-round time and effort to develop process management tools and experience to create evaluation methods that have the detail, weight, and perspective to identify strengths and weaknesses that can that they can provide um, that th that a process like this can provide them. Um, they can have a better compass that helps them get better at the craft if they do these things. Now, I'm not saying that all media analysts don't have or don't put in this time and effort there i'm sure there are many that do but i also know many that do not and it's you know they're gonna they're gonna have oftentimes they're still gonna have some successes and but the thing is is that do they are they building on those successes are they learning from those failures are they really thinking consciously about how they scout and get better at scouting year after year and are they conscientious about watering the plant that is their process to make it better because you know listen we always i i would answer the answer i would say that the answer is not usually because i always hear that scouting is a subjective craft and while that's fundamentally correct it's an easy statement for people to use when they're rationalizing why there's no reason to make any effort 
to reduce, if not eliminate, subjective behaviors. And you can. The first step is just is simply creating a grading system, maybe not simply, but the first step is creating a grading system that limits variation. And this is something that a one through nine scoring system rooted in that corporate style annual review, which is also the NFL system, is not going to do. Now, let's be clear. There are a lot of excellent NFL scouts and GMs and personnel directors who have learned to become excellent evaluators of talent and have never seen a different evaluation system than the NFL's one through nine system that's been around forever. Still, that's a flawed system. When you assign a number as a grade, you have to define what each number means, okay? And if you have nine different numbers, you're given an overall number to maybe one, if not three to four categories. But there's more than three to four things that make up a good player at each position. There's a lot that's kind of vague in that system. The definitions that the NFL uses for each number are vague. You know, Pro Bowl player. That's vague. It's vague on its own. Now, if you have information beneath all of that that's very specific, then those things can support saying Pro Bowl player because each definition of the skills, the movements, the concepts are all going to be defined in a way where if you're answering that they do perform these, then their players overall score is going to be a reflection of them playing at a consistently high level. So when you assign a number grade, you have to define each number, but the definitions the NFL uses, you know, they don't define every concept, technique, or movement. So if you take a 15-year scouting veteran, a five-year quarterback coach, a GM in his second year who has a great financial background, but is somewhat light on football operations and maybe four scouts with varying years of experience up to 10 years and put them in a room and ask them each to assign a grade for say releases with the system that the NFL uses. If they, this is their first time together on that team or, or meeting on this level, you're going to find a, a fair amount of variation with the answers that could be avoided if you define and assign a weight for every task at each position. And you can see that how I broke down those tasks. That way you can teach it. You can teach the less experienced scouts, you know, what is what you know, what are the good parameters for lower body release movement? What are the good parameters for an efficient release? It, for the upper body how should the feet be positioned can is it important that the for the team that the quarterback can do perform different types of releases on the move or off platform what how does that fit their offense are they going to be asked to throw on the move a lot or they do they know that their offensive line is going to be um you know, a work in progress or that opposing defenses that they'll be facing in their division 
are so good that it's going to be a challenge even for a good offensive line, and they need a quarterback who can make off-platform plays. These are all considerations that a grading system should be able to incorporate, and you have to get on the same page with that, and part of that is defining what you're looking for. You know, so, and I haven't even broached the idea of whether they are going to score, uh, you know, what they're looking at with something like deficient, poor, below average, average, good, excellent, which aren't clearly defined. I mean, what, what, what's poor to the 30 year scout or 15 year scout might be just average to the GM or good for the second year scout who missed a key point because again you didn't define what each of those things are you know i've i'm you know that's why you know for me i use yes no answers where you define it exactly what what whether they did it or they didn't do it then you have to think about also your process for what is consistent mean or do you or do you grade based on another factor of Maybe it's not necessarily consistency, but it's based on a certain number of times or it's based on, you know, other factors in terms of, you know, how you, how you determine a yes or a no. And I mean, these are all things that you have to take into consideration and that's the next step. It involves breaking the task down to individual techniques, athletic movements and concepts and figuring out a weighted value for each. Now I use a 100 point scale because it's more intuitive than going one through nine. And more importantly, it allows me to break down more of these task concepts and techniques of each position in far greater detail. I can have over a hundred different criteria points on that scale with varying weights and that allows me to define all the processes that these players use athletically, conceptually, theoretically, technique-wise to do their jobs. And as a result, you know, breaking it down like that, I've spent nearly 20 years training myself to examine the details of these concepts, movements, and techniques. And it's, you know, it's helped me generate a level of expertise at evaluating these positions enough so that trainers and coaches to NFL, college, and top high school prospects have made my video breakdowns homework for their clientele. I've been told this by someone who's been on NFL.com who has a very popular Instagram and um, social media standing who has worked with top pros, top college players, and many of them started as high school players, and I was... I've been DM'd by him saying, I, you, I assign your videos for them to do homework and watch at the high school level when they're started. And some of those guys have gone on to be pros. So part of this training, you know, if, if I, you know, I'm obviously not a coach, you know, um, you know, enough, but enough of that expertise that I have has helped people who do have the craft of coaching that's outside my discipline help them do their work because I have possessed expertise in breaking down movement, technique application, 
and football theory and execution of mental concepts and game management at four different positions. And that's helping coaches coach. So part of that training involves continuously looking for ways to redefine the criteria that I'm using. And that's something I would suggest for you if you really want to get into scouting is that make this a long-term thing. You know, whether you just want to scout for fun or whether you're serious about this, you know, spend, get into the nitty gritty of are my, the ways that I define, you know, what a player does specific and accurate, or do I need to add more detail or split them into separate tasks? If you want to be, want to have a lasting career, these are things that can help you because you're looking at the details. Details make the difference. And if you're not in love with the detail of trying to get better, it's going to be a little bit harder for you to have a lasting career with this because you've got to be in love with the process. Or at least you have to embrace the process enough that you that it's worthwhile for you to to do so that you can get better at doing the things that you really love. So I look at things like, you know, the accuracy and specific and the specifics of the definition and whether I need to add more detail or split them into separate tasks. I ask myself whether I'm giving too much or little weight based on the ease or difficulty of players acquiring or improving these skills in the NFL or the value they realistically contribute to a team. For instance, if the NFL was strictly a gap-blocking league, I'd give less weight to a footwork and decision-making concept that I often use for between the tackles running on zone plays. Um, or, as I'm considering this year for, my, for the 2023 RSP, is that based on the league's change to incorporate more gap blocking, and I anticipate that to continue, I'm going to be creating reports that give different scores based on a player's knowledge and skill for those specific schemes, gap or zone. So that therefore, and I've already kind of done that, but I'm going to make sure that, you know, I'm going to give that another look to make sure that when I give rankings, I can give split it out in a way where you can see the differences of how I would grade a player if they landed in a gap scheme versus how I would grade them if they landed in a, a, a heavier zone scheme. Now, by the way, vision is a great example of something people scout for, for running backs. That's really a vague and catch-all term for eight different types of decision-making that I use to grade at the position. And then I have another eight, eight, um, eight points where half of them are specific for zone blocking and the other half are for gap blocking. So as you can see, scouting's a long-term process that like any craft is about getting incrementally better. It doesn't mean you're always going to develop in a linear fashion year after year and that you have the ability to see factors like character and maturity and personal management politics that they're gonna enter and certain system misfits based on some of those politics or um, you know, scouting um, failures at maybe the management level. But if you learn how to create a defined and weighted evaluation methodology that reduces variation, then you're creating a foundation that will help you learn what you need to know over the long haul. 
if you make the commitment to tend to the evaluation methodology as much as you spend time watching players, it all should really go hand in hand and it will optimize your learning process. After all, tending to my process on a dedicated level has led me to a point where I'm a resource for individuals in multiple disciplines of football, whether it's media or football operations or scouting. And that's without ever being a player, a coach, or a scout. I learned multiple disciplines of football largely in part because I made a commitment to the process that I developed that asked me to learn more when things aren't, the, the process isn't working um, optimally. And you keep, and you know, with my process, it was rooted in strong operations and quality management where continuous improvement is embedded into the methodology based on what it is that you have to try and continuously define and, and grade. And this is the type of training and, and persistence of approaching this training in a committed way I've done for nearly two decades. And if I can do it, listen, anyone can use some of these tools to improve their scouting of talent. It just depends on your desire, your daily commitment, curiosity, and passion for the sport. Um, now, I'm providing this detail because I think it's important to talk about what goes into grades. You know, if you're making grades, and even in the NFL, they give a lot of consideration to their grades more than they do their rankings. You know, they want to grade players in a certain way. Even if I think there's flaws in how they grade because I come from that operations and quality management perspective where I did got certification in best practices for how to create an evaluation method doesn't mean that you know they still don't ask similar questions they just may not have that root of knowledge and they've accepted what their process is but they still are trying to decide you know what the grade is for these players and you know the rankings are there but as you know you know and what i often say is that rankings suck okay i hate rankings it's it's necessary because that's the demand in the media space it's the the demand for fantasy gms it, it, you know but it's a faulty categorization of talent every position in football has subcategories you know wide receivers and running backs have different roles based on a team's offensive system or their skill sets christian mccaffrey's role can often be much different from that of nick chubbs jalen waddle is a vastly different type of receiver than t higgins lamar jackson might perform well in baltimore's offense but you ask him to run the raiders offense is you know how's that gonna go you know you can have fun debating the question of whether, you know, a good example would be Tom Brady at his peak is better than, you know, Russell Wilson at his peak. Okay. You could, you could say, well, Russell Wilson might be able to perform in different types of offenses. Well, if you saw what happened in Denver, you, you might argue that point right now, but I think that's a more complicated question to, uh, to delve into at another time. But you can compare two players and say, based on fit, one's better than the other. 
but one may be more versatile and can play at a high level in more offenses than the other. So sometimes you're talking about ceiling and floor with those players, and if the floor is high enough, then you may decide on that player over the player who has the higher ceiling. You know, and that's a big part about why tiers, you know, while, you know, linear ranking system isn't always a, uh, an accurate portrayal of value because I prefer tiers where groups of players exist who are close in skill or are at least above a certain minimum of where you would say, I'll take any of the players above this tier. They are good enough to ride the ride that's our scheme and help us get better as opposed to going, well, I want the second player over the fifth player. Now, certainly that can happen, but you want to be at a point where you don't get too goal-focused on getting the second player that you diminish the value of the fifth-ranked player who is in the same tier. And now because you're disappointed you didn't get the second guy, you wind up tilting and not taking the fifth guy who could have helped you become a winner. This happens in real football. This happens in fantasy football. It shouldn't matter to you, really, at a certain point, whether Jerry and Ely, James Cook, and Zonovan McKnight were numbers 11, 12, and 14 on an analyst board. I'm just saying hypothetically. It's more important to understand what they, where they're graded. Are they all in the same tier? Or is there a huge tier break between James Cook and Jerry Ely? Is there a huge tear break with Zonovan Knight? Because say three years from now, you might argue that Zonovan Knight has significantly outperformed the other two, but the organizational fit for the player, his system fit with the offense, his overall health during the time that he's played, and the surrounding talent of his offensive line and quarterback are just four of several variables that don't make a one-to-one -one comparison in an accurate way of a viewing talent. Now, I understand the desire for linear order, um, but I find it important to, to give tiers because it, the satis it satisfies my desire to dissuade readers from overreacting to a linear number. The why do you have, insert player's name here, so low while giving you, I can give you, you know, a way to shift your boards around based on your team needs. And, and you get a more accurate understanding of where the pressure points are in your draft. Let's take Chris Olave, Drake London, Jameson Williams, and Garrett Wilson as an example. These were my top four receivers in that order for the 2022 draft class prior to the NFL draft. Now, even this month, and, and if you're listening to this and you've asked me this question, don't take it personally because it's okay. I mean, I get asked this all the time. But I've literally had people ask me how I feel about Garrett Wilson because I was, quote, lower than the average with my ranking of him fourth. 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 For the folks asking this question, their perspective and ranking is so naturally skewed that they see fourth as maybe somewhat of a bad thing and something that requires a level of response and detail and this is completely skewed way of seeing the topic that's unfortunately been normalized after all wilson earned an 83.9 depth of talent score now 
if you've never gotten the RSP, you don't understand what that means. So I'm going to review my scoring criteria. I use a 100-point scale, like I said. To me, 100 to 95 is a rare overall grade. That means that all of the you know, 100-plus points of criteria that I'm breaking down and studying and grading for every game of every player I watch is good enough and consistent enough that he's an instant he has instant all pro upside he can take over games and change teams because he has so few flaws to his game that and his athletic ability is a high level that he can take over games okay very rarely have i had players score that highly 90 to 94 is a franchise starter to me that's a player who's challenging for the lead role and leadership anchor on that team someone who's going to be a prime in a wide receiver sense a primary wide receiver you know the main guy and depending on what his talent is around him could have elite upside in terms of his production immediately 85 to 89 is a starter grade meaning they can start immediately with a large role as either the number one number two or number three receiver and learn on the go they may have ups and downs with their game where they are lacking certain uh, um, skills or they may not be quite good enough to to beat top cornerbacks as consistently as they will be um, if they continue to improve in a couple of years but they can give you starter production and have a a main role 80 to 84 that's where Wilson is. He's at the he's on the cusp between rotational starter and starter. Is he executes at a starter level in a role playing to their strengths. Meaning that maybe there are certain routes that in that's in the jet system that he might not be all that great at. Maybe they're not going to ask him to make contested catches um, in cert, with certain routes where he may struggle um, to do that. Maybe it's not a good fit with the quarterback who doesn't throw those types of routes well so they don't even run them for that reason but he fits well because they're asking him to do things that he does well like run slants or run over routes or work over the middle and earn some space early and make people miss and that he can catch the ball on the go that way and yes on play action plays or or um fade routes um to the corner he can win those you know maybe that's those are some of the things he can do and if you let him do that and the offense is around centered around that on a level that they can they can get production in their passing game he might give you a, a high a high level of starter production now the the next four grades 75 to 79 is contributor that means you can get starter execution in a limited role but beyond that limited role you know whether it's like say ted ginn is a deep threat you know and you can get huge games from him or gabriel davis where you can get huge games from him certain weeks but he's not consistently giving you weekly starter production because what he does well is basically run slower developing routes or win vertical deep routes against zone coverage or certain types of man with play action help if you ask him to run a deep comeback against Jalen Ramsey on third and 17 he's probably not going to give you good returns in that way that's diminishing returns beyond that scope but he can still give you starter production and he's on that scope of you know he's on that cusp of doing that in three-team fantasy leagues for ex as an example 
Um, a reserve is 70 to 74. That's a contributor with limitations in scope and execution. That's someone who, you know, like Marcus Calloway. Marquez Calloway is a great example of someone who can do certain things really well or Trey Smith um, where he can do certain things really well but you're not asking him to be one of the main contributors year in and year out um, and when you do you're having ups and downs with their game. A, a 60 to 69 is developmental. These are players who are special teamers. They're on the end of bench. They're practice squad players. They're players who who have lack certain skills or athletic abilities that put them in a position to be contributors on a weekly basis. Um, guys who are scored zero to 59 are street free agents. These are developmental talents with deficiencies, either in experience technique or athletic ability. So even without what I shared and what I'm about to share, Wilson earned a great a grade of a starter in a role playing to his strengths a starter role means starter production and right now after 15 weeks he's the number 18 fantasy receiver in ppr leagues that's squarely in the middle range of starter production in most fantasy leagues that have 12 fantasy teams and lineup starting lineups with at least three receivers i mean he's smack dab right in the middle of starter if you were going to say the average starter in the average fantasy league you could and you looked it up this year and there was a dictionary for this year which is rankings for ppr you would look it up and smack dab right there the average example in the middle right there the midpoint player garrett wilson number 18. so the thing is is though because i ranked three players higher based on the combination of things that I look at somehow the fact that I rank them higher in their mind diminishes Wilson's grade no no man shit no man I believe you get your ass kicked saying something like that man that's kind of how I feel <laughs> but listen the grades assigned to rookies are a portrait of their current play and how their athletic ability, their skills, and conceptual and intuitive acumen for the game translates to Sundays. The grades given to rookies aren't static, they're only a starting point of the player's development. And if a player with a contributor grade improves in two to three areas of their position during training camp, or his rookie year, or during his first offseason, he can emerge as a talent two to three tiers higher on the scale. And while the players in the lowest four tiers have the greatest volume of issues, many problems that they have are easy fixes, which can lead to rapid improvement. They may not go from a street-free agent to a star, but they may go from a street-free agent to a contributor. And if they're a reserve, they may go from a reserve to a good starter. You know, it depends on, you know, it depends on how well they improve and how many of the problems that are easy fixes or how many of them and many of the hard fixes they can make rapid improvement with because maybe they didn't have the experience performing these tasks they didn't get the teaching um, maybe some the light clicked on that they wanted to take this more seriously now that they've have a chance to be a pro and they're they're they figured out how to work every day again these are people who are young adults still learning how to work that's just part of the process 
So as a player's talent climbs these tiers and the volume of flaws decline, the difficulty level with addressing existing flaws can also increase. So if a player's already high up on the scale, the, the things that they have to fix tend to be harder to fix. There may be one or two things that they need to fix that are easy fixes, but more often than not, the things that they have to address, there's a, there's a narrow margin of error and, and it takes a long time and it's very hard to get to that smaller jump, you know. So, you know, on-field impact of these gains also differs based on, on talent level. Player in the lower tiers will make the largest gains, but they're often less impactful than the smallest gains by a player in the highest tiers, which is why you see a lot of these top players, you know, obsessive about the smallest details. You know, they're micromanaging their games on a level that's obsessive because they know the difference between good and great and they know that it's a small jump, you know, relative to everything else. That's why, like, when I grade players, that the, the more fundamental criteria has higher point levels or point values than the things that are difficult to do because it's really the smallest differences that make the biggest differences. So, you know, I'm not awarding a huge grade to a player for an, an extremely advanced level. I'm not giving a, a, a assigning a high weight to an extremely advanced um, display of certain concepts. I'm giving the smaller value to that because fewer players can do it. There are more players who can play reasonably well as a starter who don't do that. So the more that players can do these things and perform, the more players who can perform these tasks, the bigger the grade is. Because if they can't do those things, then they should get a hefty penalty to their overall grade, if that makes sense. So, you know, depth of talent score that I use, it has no impact on things like the prospects competition for a spot on the depth chart. Garrett Wilson could have gone to Cincinnati. If he went to Cincinnati, would he be starting right now? He might start ahead of Tyler, Tyler Boyd. I mean, that's what you, you, a lot of people say. Well, of course he would, but maybe they like what Tyler Boyd brings in the slot in terms of his ability to read coverage in a way that Garrett Wilson might've been a year away from. So even though Wilson might be a brighter talent, he might not have even had a spot on the depth chart as an every week starter. You know, it doesn't, the depth of talent score doesn't, um, impact the extended opportunity to prove his value there. He may not fit well year one on a team and, or he fits well on the team, but, but gets hurt. And then in year two, there's a new coaching regime and they decide they're going to move with a different scheme. Wilson isn't a great fit. He's still hurt. Oh, wait a minute. That sounds like Denzel Mims a little bit, doesn't it? Yeah. So may not have extended opportunity to prove his value. Team politics and contract-driven decisions. There are some people who've been calling for Zach Wilson to be, you know, gone after year one. That just admit your mistake, like Josh Rosen, and move on. But team politics and contract-driven decisions might be: we drafted this guy so early, we feel like we need to give him an op, uh, an another year, and that's logical. Nothing wrong with that. But people, it's still team politics and contract-driven decisions. Injuries, scheme fit. So, you know, Tua Tungavailoa, 
last year versus this year, at least up until, you know, teams have made some adjustments. And of course, supply and demand, you know, so supply and demand is a vital factor. I mean, the RSP could grade 25 players with no worse than contributor values at that position. But if the league's depth charts are filled with reserves performing at an equal or higher level, or even a lower level with the other political and fiscal factors that I mentioned, um, maybe a decent or good grade for a prospect might not even matter. So hopefully this week's podcast provides some perspective about the craft of evaluation, especially mine, because that's what I know best. And again, you can pre-order the RSP at mattwaldman.com today for the pre-drafts April 1 download. And look, Happy New Year. I'll be back soon. Tomorrow I'm doing a pod with Adam Harstead. Um, and we'll be t doing, you know, our normal, um, fan, you know, film and theory, you know, or film and data. And then Mark Schofield and I are going to follow up with another Game of Thrones podcast. We're seeding the players that are the, the warriors that we scouted and creating a 16 and 18 team tournament seeding for the for the warriors that we scouted a couple of weeks ago. So stay tuned for that if you're a Game of Thrones fan or you're just curious of how we rate people who fight each other. <laughs> so anyway, thanks again. I appreciate all of you. I hope you've had a wonderful holiday season. And if not, I hope it gets better and I hope your new year starts off on the right foot.